Welcome. Welcome to the porch here on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. When you hear that music, the same music we have had since day one and have no intention of changing it, it represents the porch. It represents its time to get back to basics, that we're going to take a close look at the Word of God. We're going to look at the book of Acts Church. We're going to follow their example. We're going to dig deeper into Scripture and in the process discover the church the Lord intended and not the man-made one we have right now. But I believe we can change that because the porch is restoring the priesthood of the believer, and we are regaining the world-shaking influence that the early church had. Church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire still falls. If you have any questions, go to firefalltalkradio.com. Use the contact button or email us at the porch, lowercase one word, T H E P O R C H, at firefalltalkradio.com. If you'd like to support us, go to firefalltalkradio.com, main page at the bottom. There are ways to do that. We appreciate your support, each and every one of you that do. Just pray and give us the Lord leads. Welcome to all of our listeners from the various streaming platforms out there. Remember, if you need prayer or if you want to pray for others in the porch community, just contact us. We finished Feast of Tabernacles. Hopefully you were blessed. Hopefully you took time to tabernacle with him. We've done it in the past, and I would really love to be able to do it again, to build a structure, have dinner, have meals. We, we've done it, and it was awesome. Let's get right to it. Got a lot to talk about, a lot going on. Let's just pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We're living in very dark, dangerous times, but you are the light of the world, and we are your lamps. We are your beacons. We love you. We thank you. There is no one like you. We thank you for reconciling us to our Abba Father, our Papa God, our Daddy. And that allows us to boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy, not in fear, not in hesitation or trepidation, but full, flat out, running into his arms like little children approaching the throne. Father, I am so thankful that you loved me when I was unlovable. And I pray that all of my brothers and sisters would know that love would know that intimacy with you. Thank you for Yeshua, your only begotten Son. The only way we can get to you is through him, because of him. And we thank you for establishing a way, for making a way, even all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when there was no way. Lord, as I was sitting here before coming on the air, talking to you, thinking about what you've done, what you've done for us, how we didn't deserve it. You shed every drop of blood. You let them beat you, embarrass you, strip you naked, nail you to a piece of wood, and hang you up in the air for all to see. And in doing so, they fulfilled prophecy that if you were lifted up, everyone would be drawn to you. So I lift you up right now, but not on the cross, on the throne. I lift you up as King of kings and Lord of lords. I lift you up as the only begotten Son of God, that you are the one who sets us free, that it is by your name, by your blood, by your stripes we have been healed. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for teaching us and walking with us and and changing us and Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine, I can't even imagine a world where you were not in control. So thank you. Touch us, open our hearts, open our minds. We clear our minds right now. 
the day we put it aside, the cares of this world, we set them aside, the worries, all the things, we set them aside, and we invite you to come in. We invite you to open up our minds, change us, let us understand, let us hear, let us receive. We pray your protection upon the technology. We bind the enemy in every way, shape, and form, everything that would exalt itself above the knowledge of God, we declare and decree it null and void. So help us right now, Holy Spirit. Get us ready. Prepare us. Change us. Teach us. In Yeshua's name. If you agree with me, say amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Messiah Yeshua, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word as an official messenger. Be ready when the time is right and even when it's not. Keep your sense of urgency, whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable, whether convenient or inconvenient, whether welcome or unwelcome. Correct those who err in doctrinal behavior. Warn those who sin. Exhort and encourage those who are growing towards spiritual maturity with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate accurate instruction that challenges them with God's truth. But wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing, they will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another, chosen to satisfy their own desires and to support the errors they hold and will turn their ears away from the truth, and will wander off into myth and man-made fiction, and will accept the unacceptable. But as for you, be clear-headed in every situation. Stay calm, cool, and steady. Endure every hardship without flinching. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill the duties of your ministry. Of course, that's Paul speaking to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter 4. And what he was saying was so important that he solemnly charged him with God and the Lord as a witness. You know, over the weeks, we've talked about basics, forgiveness, bitterness. And since we're in October, we're dealing with the upcoming pagan satanic holiday of Halloween. Yeah, I'm just going to call it like it is. I'm going to tell the truth without flinching. What's on my mind is getting back to basics. Oh, I know that's the catchphrase of the porch. And so many people want to advance this and advance spiritual warfare, and they want to get into the quantum, and they want to get into all these deep intellectual multi-leveled things, but the fact is, unless we can do the basics, unless we can deal with the fruit of the flesh and the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit, unless we can have a strong foundation, we can't do anything. Without the basics, you have no foundation or framework to work from. So getting back to basics means dealing with the enemy's tool of deception. Very prevalent right now. Deception is the act of deceiving, the state of being deceived. Deception is something that deceives, is intended to deceive, defraud. It's an important message throughout the New Testament But the one place that the Lord tackles it head on is in Matthew 24. And over the years of 
the porch and even reflections in the dark. This has been an area that we keep coming back to. Remember, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And the more you hear it, the more you get it, the more you understand it, the more you begin to see it, the more it becomes three-dimensional, and you begin to see things you have not seen before. So let's go there. Your Bible should have been open the minute that shofar sounded. If you're new to the porch, when the shofar sounds, that means get ready, open your heart, open your mind, and open your Bible. Now as he, Yeshua, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him. Disciples came to him. I don't know who disciples are. But the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things will be. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Yeshua answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Right out of the gate, deception is the topic. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginnings of the sorrows, meaning all of them happening at the same time is the beginning of the end. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Because lawlessness will abound and the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down and take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back and get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says, look, here is the Messiah, or there, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. The difference from before to now is before he says, many will come in my name saying, I am the Messiah. But now he's talking about false messiahs and false prophets. Deceiving with great signs and wonders. He said, see, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert. Do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. He's not going to be down here, and he's not going to be in a room. He's going to be coming in the sky. That's how it's going to happen. For wherever the carcass is there, the eagles will be gathered together. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven, the heavens, will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. In my opinion, this is both the rapture and the second coming, two different times. First the church goes, and then he comes back with the church. But the opening declaration 
from the Lord on this topic is take heed that no one deceives you, no one misleads you, deceiving you and leading you into errors. Others will be deceived, but you you should not because you've been with me. That's what he's inferring because I've sent the Holy Spirit to walk with you, to guide you, and to teach you. He will remind you of me and what I said, of what I taught. That's what we hear in John 14, 15, and 16. In other words, we've been warned. How is it then so easy to deceive the body? I believe the key to enduring and overcoming in the end times starts out with not being deceived. And you notice what he says, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. Well, that means the deception starts from within. People claiming to know him, people claiming to represent him, people claiming to teach about him, but they have a different Jesus. They teach a different Jesus. They have a different version, a different story, a different ending. You see, deception starts with the familiar. They don't come straight at you with a total change. They take a little bit of truth and wrap it around their lie. Deception starts with a misdirection. Look over here, not over there. Don't look. Don't listen to him. Come over here. Listen to this one. Listen to what they're saying. Isn't that exciting? You know, that's how it all started in the garden. Did God say? See, the deception of Genesis 3 is the pattern from which Hasadan and the fallen have never strayed. And that's the deception that began all our problems. Deception that we're still paying for. Genesis 3, chapter 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? You see what he did? He just twisted it. A slight change, a slight variation. Because that's what he does. We know from Revelation 12, 9, that's a pattern of Satan who deceives the whole world. And by the way, Genesis 3, the serpent, which we've been taught for decades, is Satan. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that. Look it up. Larry and I spent some time today because I've always believed that the serpent was there for Satan, but wasn't Satan. Because in Genesis Revelation 12, it says that serpent of old. It doesn't say the serpent of the garden. The two are never tied together. There's just that inference, but that's neither here nor there. But the thing about it is deception is a choice. It was for Adam and Eve. It started with her coveting the forbidden fruit. We always want what we cannot have. Isn't that amazing? Almost all of our troubles as believers comes from we want what we do not have or maybe what the Lord has not given to us for good reason. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. So if we're craving physical pleasure or craving everything we see or we, we want to have pride in our achievements and our possessions, that's not of the Father. That's of the world and it's of the God of this world, which means it's of the devil. It opens a door. It invites him in. As Larry and I were talking today. We both theorized and thought about, I wonder if her desire for the fruit Maybe she said something out loud. Maybe she projected it in her body language or her or mind or her thoughts or whatever it was. Satan saw that as the way to seduce her. Do we send out a signal? Do we open a door and invite him in by what we look at or what we say? Of course we do. 
we give permission by our choices and our desires. I mean, here we have the month of October where at the end of the month people will foolishly celebrate Halloween thinking it's some childish event and, oh, it's nothing. It means nothing. It reminds me of my youth when I was happy and everything was good. Well, no, 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 that's your desire. Halloween, there's nothing good about it. And we've done so many teachings on the porch and so many um, Occultoberfest specials on reflections in the dark. You cannot be a believer in Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. You can't claim to believe in him, follow him, and are obedient to him and celebrate a, 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 a festival of death and darkness, a festival that celebrates the satanic. That's deception. Oh, it's okay. God doesn't care. Oh, yeah, he does. He cares. You know, he cares even more the enemy. He counts on people doing it. Got a little off track there. I just wanted to say a little blurb on it, but it's, as you can see, from somebody who came out of the occult, to somebody who knows the direct danger of it, who knows what it means, who knows what's going on that particular night and the lead-up to that night, who knows that it's a high holy day and all that comes with it, the animals that will die because of it, possibly in some parts of the world, the sacrifice of I'll stop there. Don't want to go there. Deception. It's rampant. Even the deception about the rapture or the second coming or leaving or, oh, this there's no millennial reign. We're in the millennial reign. What? If this is the millennial reign, we got ripped off. This isn't. No, no, no. No, no, no. There are people that believe that. Second Thessalonians 2, starting verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of Adonai Yeshua Mashiach, Lord Jesus the Messiah, and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to soon be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us, as though the day of Messiah had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. None of that's happened yet. Do you not remember when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and only he, capital H, Holy Spirit, who now restrains, will do so until he, capital H, Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. And that happens when the church is not here. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth, and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is also according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God the Father does not want anybody to perish, and he has given them the way out. He has given them Yeshua. But they must make a choice. They must choose him as Lord and Savior. They must choose to turn their back to the deception that they're being offered. But they wanted what they wanted. Eve wanted the fruit. Apparently, Adam wanted to please his wife more than God. 
they were tempted and they felt. And we do it every day. We're offered a temptation every day. We're offered something to please our eyes, tickle our ears, or turn our hearts and minds away from the Lord. I sincerely believe, and you know you've heard me say it, and I've never wavered from this. You have got to sell out heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit to Yeshua. You won't make it otherwise. The powers of darkness and the power of deception and all the things that go into our eyes and all the things that stimulate us and all the things that pull at us are way too strong to do it in and of our own power. James says in James 1, starting verse 12, Blessed is the man or woman, I'm adding the woman part, doesn't really say that, but blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And let no one say when they are tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But here we go, verse 14. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Endure temptation. Don't be drawn away by your own desires. Don't give in. Fight back. And don't let it or the fear of it disable you. Disabling deception, as always, I I do a play on words in my titles. Deception is something that disables us, or we can disable it. And I believe the remnant that is being raised up at this time will be the ones who disable it. And I believe that the church has fallen too far into its own desires and its own temptations and its own egos and vanities, and have been disabled. But we haven't. That word disable means to deprive of legal right, qualification, or capacity. It means to make incapable or ineffective. To make unable or unfit. To destroy the 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 capability of or to incapacitate it, to disqualify it. We can either disable it or be disabled by it. We can be crippled by it, made lame, destroyed. You see, this is so basic. Yet what I am talking about here is in-depth spiritual warfare, advanced Christianity, if you want to use that title, or this is what it's going to take to be an advanced believer, to not be deceived. If you're so easily fooled and so easily deceived, you you, you need to get back to basics. You need to get back to the truth. That's why I think most people that are so obsessed with the um, outrageous or, oh, I want to learn about the 11 levels of heaven. Why? Oh, the 17 levels of, of reality. Why? You're not really doing very good in this one. How about we do good in this one first? How about we get the basics? How about we conquer the fruit of the flesh and release the fruit of the Spirit? I think there's a reason why the Lord 
and the disciples and their teachings kept it basic because they knew out of the basics, the advance will come. Out of the basics, you will grow and you'll move forward naturally with the help of the Holy Spirit. See, I can't tell you what to do. I can't tell you what to do. I can just point you in the right direction. I can show you the areas that will help you. You know, right now, everybody's going through a tough time. The attack on the body, especially those that I know, is is pretty severe. And, and unfortunately, I'm going to tell you it's going to get worse. So we better learn how to overcome it. We better learn how to deal with it now. Because until he comes back, that's when it gets really good. But we're, we're going to have to go through some some tough times. As you can see, if you came to have your ears tickled, you're in the wrong place. But I will tell you this, we overcome. And no, ba- no matter how bad it gets, I know the greatest thing that's going to happen is the Lord is coming back. That's my blessed hope. That's what I hold on to. But I also know that I am more than a conqueror now. The greater is he that is in me than whatever is against me. Therefore, when I stand against it, he's in me through the power of the Holy Spirit. But when you get caught in between the rock and the hard place of this world, I can only point you to the Word. I can only point you to examples in the Word. In Joshua twenty four fifteen, he says to the children of Israel, Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Disabling deception inspires an unwavering commitment. Or it will inspire a wavering in your commitment. You see how that works? Deception tricks us into choosing the world over the Lord. And I've heard about Christians, supposed Christians, supposed believers, who are celebrating Halloween who are putting up the jack-o'-lanterns and the black cats, and they're doing the whole thing, and to them it's okay. You, you can't be a friend of God or the friend of the world. You can't do worldly things and say you worship him. Paul, Paul's pretty clear on a Second Corinthians 6, starting verse 14, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Messiah with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, Paul says, and I say to the church right now, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Actually, in the the actual Greek wording, stop yoking yourself together with unbelievers. Paul is giving a present imperative not merely a warning to the Corinthians about the potential danger. He's not saying do not start, but he's saying stop the actions that are already in progress. Do not be yoked together. That verb yoked is an agricultural term, the practice of yoking to a plow. And if you put two unequal kinds of animals together, like an ox, an ox, I don't know what an ox is, an ox and a donkey, 
You're not going to get a straight line. You're not going to get the outcome that you desire. You're going to get one big mess. Now, I know we live in a fallen world and we have to do things in this world, but you have got to choose your associations carefully. And that's in partnership or casual working relationships. It's in emotional relationships. Do not be deceived. Just because you want something to work doesn't mean it will. And if he's not in it, what's the point? Believers and unbelievers are driven, driven by a different set of values. One characterized by righteousness and the other by lawlessness. One characterized by light and one by darkness. There's no shared values. That's why we can't get along with the world. That's why when the church tries to calm things down or dumb things down or water things down, before you know it, they've corrupted themselves. There's there's no way to do that. We are the salt. We are the light. And that comparison between Belial and the Lord, the Hebrew term for Belial means worthlessness, hopeless ruin, good for nothing, extreme wickedness and destruction. It became attributed to Satan personally in the New Testament, and that's the only time. The King James Version, according to Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary, interprets it as a proper name 16 times, but modern translation uses it as a noun for worthless or wicked. Some sort of specific malevolent power. And as I said, Belial, as a reference to Satan, is only found one time in the New Testament. Primarily, it meant the realms of the powers of chaos and darkness, wickedness and destruction and ruin, which to me represents the kingdom of darkness. If you've been with me for a while, you know that I do not believe Satan is the big bad and the only thing we should worry about. Oh, I believe he's big and I believe he's bad. But there's a whole kingdom of darkness full of fallen angels, demonic offspring of the of the fallen watchers. No, no, no. There's more of a threat out there than him. There are other entities that are close to, but not equal in power, that are just as dangerous. We need to concentrate on the entire kingdom of darkness. And in the other Jewish materials that have been written along the way, Belial is considered the highest-ranking angel of darkness, below Satan and the absolute enemy of God and the chief of all demons. I came out of that world. I came out of the darkness. I came out of the occult. I know that there's more than just one ranking demon, more than just one ranking fallen angel. Satan rules a very uncomfortable kingdom where they all have a common goal and they submit to him within the capacity of that common goal. But we have a much bigger threat than just him out there, which means our commitment must be sure. Our heels must be dug in. We must know these basics. We should know how to pray. We should understand how things work. When we look at situations going on in the world, we should be able to see the layers. We should be able to see the different players and the different entities and all that's going on so that we know how to pray, not to get fascinated with it or obsessed with it, but knowing how to pray, knowing how to minister to people, understanding that the unbeliever's mind is blinded by the kingdom of darkness to the truth of the gospel and that the believer and the unbeliever hold nothing in common. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel, Paul says, the good news is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah, 
who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now, I know I've had people say, well, if I, if I do business with this person, I could witness to them. Well, if that's your goal, then just witness to them. Don't get in business with them. Don't cast them in your movie project and then expect that God's going to bless your movie project. He can't. If the goal is to get them set free, then focus on that. But I will tell you from my experience, both as an unsaved person and as a saved person and as a minister of the gospel, deception comes from associating with and being influenced by those who are deceived. Bad company corrupts good company the same way bad fruit ruins good fruit just by being near it. If you've never seen the phenomenon, it is always amazing to me how you can put fruit in the refrigerator, not realizing there's just one that is slightly going bad. And you put it on the refrigerator in time, it's in it's in there, it should be okay. And then you go in and look, and now you find the one that you didn't see, and everything around it has been touched and become rotten as well. That works in the spirit. Bad company corrupts good company and will change the way you think, the way you act, and what you do. But that's why the fire of the upper room is a holy fire. It's a personal fire. It's one that comes from the throne room itself to help us to walk in the darkness, to not be tainted, to not be dirtied, to do the work of the kingdom in preparation for the final fire, in preparation for the return of the Lord. And if you don't see that our time is growing shorter, Oh, it's always been that way, Richard. Preachers like you have always said that. Nothing changes. There is no time in the spirit realm. So we are to watch the signs of the times. And we're seeing them. Paul was trying to get Timothy to understand them. Why? Why would he want Timothy to understand? First Timothy is written to a a new pastor, a new leader of a new church that is exploding with signs and wonders and evangelism. Second Timothy is being written to a church that is imploding and a teacher that wants to run, who the people want to push out, and the enemy has brought sin into the camp and created a mess. That's why in Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul gets him to understand that difficult times will come. But understand this, that in the last days, dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come. Difficult days that it will be hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self, narcissistic, self-focused, lovers of money, impelled by greed, Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. And they will be unloving, devoid of natural human affection, calloused and inhumane, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, devoid of self-control, being intemperate and immoral, brutal, haters of good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of sensual pleasures rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of outward godliness, of outward religion, although they have denied its power, for their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. Avoid such people and keep far away from them." Paul is not talking about the world in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. He's talking about the so-called church. That church is here now. And I'm not here to condemn it. In fact, it's not even my problem. It's the Lord's problem. But Paul's exhorting Timothy, encouraging young Timothy, who's under severe attack. He's oppressed. He's beat down. He's bowed over. 
And this attack is coming from other believers, so-called believers. Been there, done that. Didn't keep the shirt, threw it out. It's not fun, not fun at all. But no matter who the attack is from, we should heed Paul's words to Timothy. He goes on in chapter, he starts all this out in chapter 1 with verse 6. So he starts out with the positive before he gets into the negative. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and of self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Paul's telling Timothy, and maybe some of you, it's tough. I know it is. You're surrounded by evil. You're surrounded by compromise. You're surrounded by people and events that are trying to destroy you. Don't quit. Don't get timid. Get fired up. Stir it up inside of you. Remember the one who died for you on the cross, who rose from the grave and sits at the right hand of God, far above all principality and power. Remember, he's king of kings and lord of lords, and he knows you by name. He died for you. That same Holy Spirit he sent to help us walk this walk also gives us his power, gives us his love, gives us his sound mind. Oh, Richard, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't care. I just gave you the solution. Get back to the cross. Get back to the one who died for you. Get fired up about your salvation. You have no fear of sin and death anymore. You've been redeemed. So just like Paul to Timothy, I say hold to the pattern of wholesome teaching, which I can say you've learned from me here on the porch. And I'm not equating myself to Paul, don't get me wrong, but I can relate to this. A pattern shaped by faith and love that you have in Messiah Yeshua through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. I know it's dark. I know it hurts. I know you feel betrayed. I know you feel let down. The prayer didn't get answered when you thought or when you thought or how you thought or even at all. But you have to know that he loves you. You have to know that he's got a plan, that he knows what he's doing. And you know the truth. And here comes a deception that has really disabled a lot of people. But I'm going to cut it off at the knees. Truth is not relative. It's absolute. A saying I made up a long time ago and have lived by, truth is truth whether you believe it or not. It's self-evident. It's absolute. But we've been told that's not true. See how that works? Deception and being deceived causes us to hide. Causes us to cover up. Causes us to pull back. We don't. We don't want to tell anybody anything. We become seeker friendly, which then means we become sin friendly. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to challenge their choices. We just want to go along to get along, keep our head down, and get out of here in one piece. And even more scary, there are going to be some who claim to have met him, and believe in him that will walk away from him when things get tough. And I don't mean like life and death tough. I mean like intellectually, I don't understand any of this stuff, so I'm going to walk away, John chapter 6. Right after he talks about the symbolic meaning of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, 
Verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? So Yeshua knew in himself that his disciples complained about this. He's not talking to, he's talking to disciples now, people that have been walking with him. And he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Yeshua knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe and who would betray him. And therefore he said there and then he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. And from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And I saw something today I've never seen before. John 666, John chapter 6, verse 66, is about man rejecting Yeshua and walking away from him. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Six is the number of man. Now, I don't know if that's a coincidence. The Spirit did that when it inspired that man to number the Scriptures. I don't know, but I thought it was pretty amazing. Yeshua said, I solemnly tell you that you cannot have any life in you unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, unless you appropriate his life and the saving merit of his blood. And he was talking about the Last Supper. He was talking about communion. He was talking about embracing his sacrificial death. And because they didn't understand, they walked away instead of saying, explain this to us. They rejected what they didn't understand and allowed their minds to be influenced enough to walk away. Remember what he said, though, in Matthew 24, verse 10, which applies to this and everything I've been saying? Many will be offended and repelled and will begin to distrust and desert him whom they ought to trust and obey. And they will stumble and fall away and betray one another and pursue one another with hatred. If you're a student of history, study the Civil War. It was neighbor against neighbor, brother against brother. It was people that knew each other and used to eat at potlucks together, fighting against each other. I'm not saying that's coming to America. I'm saying it's coming to the church. I think it's already begun very quietly. Deception cause, causes mankind to fall and be destroyed from the garden until now. Deception leads to sin and rebellion. Deception disables, hinders, and incapacitates us. Well, my word to you tonight, and I hope you're getting it because I'm really beating the drum on this one. Disable, disarm, and destroy deception now. Restrict it. Deactivate it. Reject it. Sift through your life. Ask the Holy Spirit, show me anything that I've done, believe, or I'm about to do that not only doesn't please you or means I've been deceived. And then stand up to it without compromise. I believe we're running out of time. And I know I've said that before. And I actually had somebody say that to me recently. Well, you know, you've said this before. Yeah, I know. I'm going to say it again. And I'm going to keep saying it. Because that's what the Lord inspires me to do. If you think I sit here and pick what I'm going to preach or teach about, you, you don't understand how I work. I will have a general idea, 
And then I will ask him what he thinks. I've actually sat here and gotten two-thirds of the way into a lesson, and all of a sudden the Lord says to me, no, that's not what I want, and I'll have to throw the whole thing out and start over. But this concept of being deceived is so important to him. It's important to me. Take a good look at your life. Take a look at the life of the people around you. Have you come into relation? Have you been yoked to people or things you should not be yoked to? If you are, it's no wonder you can't get to where you're going. Father, I don't know what else to say. And I don't just mean I reached the end of my notes. I just don't know what else to say. I hurt for your children that I see being deceived. I hurt for them because I know what the enemy's going to do to them because they have stepped outside the hedge. They have stepped outside your covering. I pray that you'll restore them, that their eyes will open and they will repent. But for those that have not made that mistake yet, I pray that their commitment to you will not waver, that they will stir up the fire within them, that they will seek your word, they will seek the answers, they will be able, like we started with Timothy, be able to speak the truth in season and out, be ready at all times, no matter the occasion, to have a sense of urgency, And whether it's favorable, unfavorable, convenient or inconvenient, welcome or unwelcome, they will in love correct, warn, exhort, and encourage. And be patient. Remember where they've been. Remember where they've come from. Lord, I believe we are in that time where people just want their ears tickled. They want to be told it's going to be okay. They want to be told about this great revival and everything's going to be great and we're going to sing Kumbaya and the enemy's completely defeated while the enemy's at the gate. No. I pray, Lord, that you'll tell them, sharpen your sword, take your stand, get ready because the King of kings and the Lord of lords is returning. And before that happens, there will be skirmishes, there will be battles, there will be things to fight for and stands to be taken. And we will be clear-headed in every situation. We'll stay calm, cool, and steady. We will endure every hardship without flinching, and we will do it in love, love for you and love for them. I pray that right now, Lord, for me, for everyone involved in SRT and Firefall and those that support this ministry and those that walk with me and those that are listening, I pray it, Lord. I pray for your children that they are ready to preach the gospel, to tell the world about you, and then the end will come. And I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord... Adonai, bless you and keep you. May Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.